0: on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Welcome to No Neutrality Podcast. This is Jason Sanchez. And today I'm going to be talking about real authority versus fiat authority. To persuade or to domineer. The question is what does real authority look like in comparison to that fake man-made fiat authority. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5:11 says, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences." You see God calls all men everywhere to repent and believe in the good news of King Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has given his ambassadors a great commission to teach and persuade mankind of this truth. The truth that all are guilty before a holy God and enslaved to their sin. That through the perfect obedience of Christ and his death at the cross, we can be set free from sin, death, and the dominion of man. As we are placed under the authority of King Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to reside in his blood-bought image-bearers as the seat of self-government through the lens of his holy law word. Through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit we are then given the ability to obey without compulsion or the domineering hand of man and to judge all things ethically and judicially. As sons and daughters of the king, as the royal priesthood, the authority of Jesus Christ has been extended to us. Not so we can domineer and lord over other image bearers as the pagans do, but so we can persuade mankind knowing the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Since all authority flows from Christ through the Holy Spirit, which indwells each and every redeemed saint, we have the mind of Christ and are empowered to judge all things using his law word as the mediator between man and man. This ensures all redeemed image bearers equal footing in regards to the ability to discern and make decisions in life that are glorifying to God. This is where the right and duty to private judgment, which it was one of the main catalysts of the Protestant Reformation, comes from the indwelling holy spirit in every believer is the guide for each covenant keeper he is the one that will teach us all things as it says in john 14:26 in contrast those who are in rebellion against king jesus and still enslaved to their sin seek to dominate and rule over other men and women as they continue to act epistemologically self-conscious as usurpers of king jesus those with the most strength will sacrifice the weaker vessel and their desire for power. They seek not to persuade, but to domineer, command, and control others. This is the antithesis to the example that Jesus Christ gave us and explained to his disciples in Matthew 20, 25-28. And this is what the Word of God says. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the pagans seek to lord authority over others, while King Jesus' ambassadors will seek to serve, persuade, there's that word again, persuade, and teach others as they fulfill the Great Commission in every area of life. This is exercising authority and leading by example, and not by compulsion. This is how we are to persuade pagans to repent and believe, to be freed from sin and the dominion of man, and join the ranks of the priesthood of all believers. Remnants of paganism infiltrate the covenant community when professing Christians have a domineering and controlling view of authority. They do this by carrying into their relationships the pagan mindset of placing other image-bearers under their dominion. When the only dominion we should be under is that of the Holy Spirit, Who has the seat of authority in each believer? In essence, these Christians, who still think like pagans in this area, usurp the position of the Holy Spirit as the vicar of Christ in the world. This is an important point in the conversation over biblical authority. It has been missed. We have glossed over what biblical authority encompasses and have someone in authority and how someone in authority is to lead. When it comes to a relationship between a husband and a wife, some have assumed that the husband is the authority based solely on his ontology, and he has a command-control role over his wife. There is the assumption that he has the power of the, quote, final say. Again, they discard the position of the Holy Spirit as the vicar of Christ in the world. How can it be that a husband and a wife, who God has joined together as one, cannot talk things through to a resolution where they can both agree. Remember, they both have the Holy Spirit abiding in them as the seat of authority and the law word of God as the lamp unto their feet. Is the Holy Spirit divided? Does the husband have more of the Holy Spirit than the wife? Or are the husband and wife supposed to complement each other in wisdom and knowledge according to their spirit-given gifts towards making decisions in the home that glorify God? The husband and wife should complement each other as wise counselors, as co laborers in the vineyard of God, both having equal authority because they are both indwelt by the Holy Spirit and are both part of the priesthood of all believers. The right and duty of private judgment does not end in the marriage covenant, nor does the marriage covenant end in the home, but it is to extend into the culture. As the two become one, fight the evils of our age. So when we rightly understand all authority has been given to Christ as King, and He has commissioned us as ambassadors to go and teach the nations all He has commanded, we must also ask ourselves, how do we do this? Is it by command or by persuasion? We already know that by the words of Jesus in the Great Commission that our mission is is didactic to teach others to obey God's law, word, and the good news of the kingdom. So again, the question is: How do we go about teaching the nations and exercising the authority we have been given by extension in the different spheres of influence God has providentially placed us in? How do we do this? Is it by domineering command or by persuasion? Paul in 2 Corinthians five eleven says that we are to persuade men. Again, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. The Greek word translated persuade is pathil, a primary verb to convince by argument, true or false by analogy to pacify or conciliate, by other fair means, reflectively or passively to assent, to evidence or authority to rely by inward certainty agree assure believe have confidence be wax confiant make friend obey persuade trust yield this word is used 55 times in the New Testament and is translated into the following words 23 times it's translated as persuade 10 times as trust 9 times as confidence 6 times as obey 4 times as believe 1 time as agree 1 time as assure and 1 time as yield a few of examples of paul using this uh, about persuading other people are in acts 18:4 19:8 19:26 21:14 and 28:23 The example set before us in Scripture is persuasion, to bring about a trust and confidence so others will be assured and in turn yield, believe, and finally obey God's law word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another more seldom uh, used word in the New Testament that speaks of persuasion is pluriphoria, to carry out fully in evidence. For example, completely assure or convince, entirely accomplish. Most surely believe, fully know, persuade, make full proof of. And that's that's, uh, translated into these words in the English language. Persuaded twice, believed once, make full proof once, and fully known once. In Romans 4.21, Paul uses this word to describe Abraham being fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to perform, Paul also uses it in Romans 14.5 to describe Christian liberty. This is one manner in which the right and duty to private judgment is exercised. In 2 Timothy 4.5, Paul uses it as an exhortation towards Timothy to ensure that his ministry is engaged in to the fullest so as to be persuasive. Finally, in 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him, causing his preaching to be persuasive. At this point, you may be asking, well, what about the command? Isn't the gospel proclamation a command? Repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, the gospel proclamation is a command. We must remember that all commands come from God to man, not from man to man. For example, the Greek word, antelouma, means to enjoin, give charge, give command, enjoin. This word is used 17 times in the New Testament and is used in the form of handing down a command. It is the word used in Matthew 28:20, 20, where Jesus gives the great commission that we are to teach the nations to obey all that He has, and that's the word commanded. It is almost exclusively attributed to God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit giving commands or a charge command is used 14 times and it's used by God three times I mean referring to God three times referring to Moses three times referring to Jesus five Holy Spirit once the Lord once Abraham once while charge is used three times referring to Jesus once and God twice when this word is attributed to Moses it is used describing him speaking forth the commandments of God, by extension to the covenant people of God. Once it is attributed to Abraham, in Hebrews 11.22, where he gives command concerning the carrying away of his bones to the land of Canaan, the land God promised to Abraham and his descendants. Since authority has been given to Christ, and all rightful commands come from God to man, we must understand that the right response to the commandments of God is obedience. Their word translated as obey, obeyed, or obedient, haibakou, to hear under as a subordinate, for example, to listen attentively, by implication to heed or conform to a command or authority, to hearken, be obedient to, or obey. This implies a superior-subordinate relationship. But the superior is always God, and what is to obeyed is His law word, he is the only rightful authority. And by extension, his ambassadors have authority. Insofar as they repeat his law word. Again, only insofar as they repeat his law word. The word hypokau is used in the following passages. Winds and sea obey Jesus. Matthew 8, 27. Mark 4.41 and Luke 8.25 The unclean spirits obey Jesus. Mark 1.27 With faith the tree would obey you. Luke 17.6 A great number of priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 6.7 Should not obey sin. Romans 6.12 Servants, you are to whom you obey. Romans 6.16 Obeyed from the heart. Doctrine. Romans 6.17 They have not obeyed the gospel. Romans 10.16 and 1 Thessalonians 1.8 Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 and Colossians 3.20 Servants, obey masters. Ephesians 6.5, Colossians 3.22 Have always obeyed Jesus. I'm sorry. Have always obeyed Jesus. Philippians 2.12 Obey our instruction in this letter, 1 Thessalonians 3.14. Jesus, the author of salvation to all who obey him, Hebrews 5.9. Sarah obeyed Abraham, 1 Peter 3.6. Therefore, any member of the priesthood of all believers, when on the right side of the ethical judicial line, is due submission. This is why we are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. As you read the passages describing the relationship between children and parents and master's servants, it is always qualified with in the Lord, as to Christ, and as to the Lord. So when there is a mature-immature relationship, such as a parent and a child, the mediator is still the law word of God. Think about that. The mediator is still the law word of God. Always the law word of God. It is our objective standard. But there is a pedagogical relationship when the parent is giving commands and yet it should be done in a persuasive manner so as to teach with reasons why there are consequences to breaking the law word of God. Some try to place a wife under the husband in the marriage relationship. But wives obey your husbands is not in scripture. What is found in Scripture is wives, submit to your husbands. But again, are submitting one to another in light of God's law word, which is the mediator between image bearers. Some conveniently ignore Paul's clear admonition to be subject subject one to another in the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5.21 Conveniently, they discard the priesthood of all believers with the Holy Spirit and his law word as the mediator between his image bearers which puts his entire priesthood on equal footing as to authority. In Ephesians 5.21, Paul is addressing all men and women. You cannot discard this fact. He's addressing all men and women. If we are all to submit one to another in the fear of Christ, then no one is to lord authority over another. Instead, the method should be one of persuasion. As Paul clearly states in 2 Corinthians 5:11, once again, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. This is Paul talking to the different congregations. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He wants to persuade them. He appeals to their consciences. Why? Because they have the seat, they are the seat of the Holy Spirit. Persuasion takes time. Sanctification takes time. It is loving service to our fellow man in a didactic manner. The pagans are the ones that lower their fi- their fiat authority over image bearers, effectually seeking to rule God in the process. We are to push the antithesis in how we interact with one another by following the persuasive servant leadership example. Jesus and Paul displayed. Time is linear, not circular. Therefore, as time moves forward, we are being transformed by the renewing of the mind. As we persuade men, they are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is growth in wisdom and knowledge. This is repentance in action. As the body of Christ continues to be sanctified by the indwelling Holy Spirit, We will grow into a mature view of our relationships one with another, and we will understand that service and persuasion are part of the keys of the kingdom. We will understand these keys are the tools of dominion, God's law, and how to judge righteously, and they are to be given to the royal priesthood, so they can add to the royal priesthood, make disciples, as they teach the nations all God has commanded. I'm going to leave you with this quote by Rush Dooney in his Systematic Theology section on authority. But as I seek to persuade you to persuade others of the law word of God on how to teach the nations, pay attention to what he says, because we want to open the doors wide to the kingdom, not merely crack it open so some can barely squeeze through, still bound in chains to man. We want to smash the lock completely and shatter the shackles of the power-submission-obsessed power religionist mindset we want to set the captives free in every sphere of life family church and society once and for all here's Rush Duny, and I quote according to our Lord the purpose of keys is to unlock doors the keys of God's kingdom must be used to unlock the doors of knowledge vocation and service for God's people to make them a royal priesthood, priests and kings. The purpose of authority under God is to develop the authority and governmental powers of all those to whom we minister. The question thus is not merely, how do we govern those under our authority, but also, how do they govern themselves? Something is wrong with us if we must continually support and finance our own children. Mutual assistance is one thing, Continuing dependence is another. Something is wrong with us if our church members are kept in close subjection and do not grow on their own. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, aptly described most church members as mummy Christians. Immediately after conversion, they are mummified to sit lifelessly on a church pew. Apart from that, they have little use. The church with mummy Christians is a dead church and its leaders are Pharisees who shut up the kingdom of God against men they neither go in nor do they allow others to enter they are elitists end quote and that's found in systematic theology Rush Duny's systematic theology volume 2 uh, section on authority that's page 1173 I hope you enjoyed uh, your time here with the No Neutrality Podcast uh tried a little different version of things here, added a little bit of background music. I hope that's okay and it didn't bug too many people. But uh, I just want to thank everybody out there who listens to Reconstructionist Radio. Uh, we're nearing our, our fourth anniversary, and we thank God for the, the fruit that he has provided uh, and, and that has come from this ministry of, of an army of volunteers. Uh, what we seek to do here is to prop up the priesthood of all believers we seek to prop up the bride of Christ we love the church the true and living church that's found everywhere not just uh, you know in four walls so uh, my admonition my exhortation to all y'all is look around you look at your brothers and sisters in the faith and understand that they are on equal footing as you because the Holy Spirit resides in them and he's the one that's the teacher of all things in light of his law word. Go forth, brothers and sisters. Use the influence God has given you in the sphere of influence he has placed you in and glorify God in that. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology.